honor him. Anyhow, so instead of hanging Mordecai, Haman ends up parading him around town. Remember, we saw that. And then um, <clears throat> the banquet happened, and Haman was revealed as the one who had this plot against the Jews. And then he ended up being hanged on those very gallows. Now, going back to these decrees, and we looked at this last week, but by for way of review for those who are not here, the, the decree to destroy the Jews was signed on the 13th day of the first month. 13th day of the first month. We see that in chapter 3 and verse 12. Then were king scribed on the 13th day of the first month. Their month is different than ours. But we'll just say, for make it easy for you to understand, January for 13th, right? I know it wasn't January. The decree that we're going to examine today was signed on the 23rd day of the third month. You see that in chapter 8 and verse 9. The king scribes are called at that time on the third month, that is the month of Anne, we'll call it March, on the 3 and 20th day. Okay, so from January 13th to March 23rd, in our terms, this decree has been signed that the Jews are to be destroyed and apparently nothing's happened, God's not moving, right? Isn't that the impression that most people would have by this point? Now, when is the execution date supposed to happen? It's the 13th day of the 12th month, December 13th, in our terms. So there's still plenty of time, but I know many times in my life, it seems like when God doesn't move right now, he doesn't care. Anybody else guilty of being that impatient? You don't have to raise your hands, but I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room. But God had been working the whole time, and all of a sudden, this day, it all seems to be brought forth, right? So let's go through this day that everything changed in Esther chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. And let's go ahead and read this passage again. On that day did King Ahasuerus give the house of Haman the Jew, Jew's enemy unto Esther the queen. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was unto her. And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it unto Mordecai. And Esther sent Mordecai over the house of Haman. And Esther spake yet again before the king, and fell down at his feet, and besought him with tears to put away the mischief of Haman the Ag Agagite, and his device that he had devised against the Jews. And the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seem right before the king, and I be pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, which are in all the king's provinces. And for how can I endure to see the, e this e the evil that shall come upon my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said unto Esther the queen, and Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and him they have hanged upon the gallows, because he laid his hand upon the Jews. Write ye also for the Jews as it liketh you in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring, for the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring may no man reverse. Then were the king's scribes called at that time in the third month, that is the month Sivan, on the three and twentieth day thereof, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews, and to the lieutenants, and to the deputies, and to the rulers in the provinces which are from India to Ethiopia, 
And 127 provinces, and every province according to the writing thereof, and every people after the language, and to the Jews according to their writing, and according to their language. And he wrote in the king Ahasuerus' name, and sealed it with the king's ring, and sent letters by post on horseback, and riders on mules, and camels, and young dromedaries, wherein the king granted the Jews that were in every city to gather themselves together, and to stand for their life, to destroy, to slay, and to cause to perish all the power of the people and the province that would assault them, both little ones and women, and to take to spoil them for prey. Upon one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, namely upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and the copy of the writing for commandment to be given to every province was published in the people, and that the Jews should be ready against that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. So the post that rode upon the mules and camels went out, being hastened and pressed on the king's commandment, and the decree was given as Shushan the palace. Now, there's a lot there, but here's how we're going to break it down. And some of this we're going to go through very rapidly because we covered it last week. But the first point, which we did cover last week, was the promotion of Mordecai, and we saw that in verses 1 and 2. Secondly, the plea of Esther, and we see that in verses 3 through 6. And then the proclamation of the king, which is in 7 through 14. You and I need to trust the timing of God. His time is always right. His time is always perfect. And so... Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, thank you for this time and the opportunity we have to study your word. I pray again as we study this passage, Lord, that again we be reminded that you are working on our behalf, even though sometimes we may not see it. So, Lord, may we just simply trust you and your timing in all things. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 1, and again, this point I'm going to go through rapidly because we covered it last week, but it's just way of review for those that weren't here. So, Uh, normally I don't preach this fast, and you'll see when I get to point two, hopefully I'll slow down, okay? But number one, God rewards faithfulness. Esther was given Haman's estate, and Mordecai was made the chief counselor of the king. So the very ring that the king took off of Haman just a few hours ago, he's now giving to Mordecai. The ring that would have his seal on it, the ring that says, you are second in charge, you have my authority to seal letters, to seal documents, and That's pretty impressive, is it not? How quickly that was given to him. Now, I believe it was given to him because Esther was able to say finally who he was and how trusted he was. Plus, the king gained a lot of trust in him by what was read to him early that morning. You see how God pieces all this together? But remember, this whole time, Mordecai just being a faithful servant, as we're told in 1 Corinthians 4.2, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You know, the problem is, is we think in modern society that it's required that a man be found successful or a man be found rich or a man be found all these other things, all these other qualifications we put on men. But God says, my requirement is faithfulness. Just be faithful. You know, it doesn't matter. I'll use preachers as an example. Whether I'm preaching to a congregation of 20 or 20,000, It's not the numbers, it's faithfulness in serving God. But before honor is humility. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Now, we talked about how Esther would have been humbled through the whole process which she became king. How that Mordecai humbled himself from the time that he uh, took his cousin Esther and reared her till even when the 
um, decree was signed, how he, he covered himself in sackcloth and ashes and mourned and prayed and, and sought God's face and fasted, how that even that morning when he was being honored went right back to work. We see a very humble man, and now God is bringing him to a point, elevating him. One of the requirements God has for us, what is required in man that we walk humbly with our God, right? We need to walk humbly with God. Then we also saw God provided for the righteous from the wicked. The last part of Proverbs 13.22 says, The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. So Haman forfeited everything because he was hanged for treason. So the king gives all Haman's estate. And remember, Haman was acquiring wealth for himself. We see that by the processes earlier, even how through the whole destruction of the Jews, how he's even going to get wealthier. So I'm sure that everything he's doing for the king, he's sifting off his portion of it, right? Kind of like politicians today, you wonder how they get paid 174000 a year and end up in five, ten years becoming millionaires? Just a question. But that doesn't add up in my math, but whatever, right? <laughs> well, he was that type of politician. Well, all that he had, the king gives to Esther. And Esther sets up Mordecai as the steward over that estate. So now all these possessions that Haman had belong to Esther, and Mordecai's overseeing it all. That's pretty amazing to me. We also saw in this point of the promotion of Mordecai that there is oppression when the wicked rule. Esther and Mordecai kept the relationship and the fact that they were Jews secret. Now, this was even before the proclamation was signed, but it, there was an animosity, obviously, in the Persian Empire against the Jews, and against, um, which may have been propagated by Haman or others like him. And so they felt at that point for their safety, they had to keep these facts secret, but, you know, there is an openness and a freedom when the righteous are in rule, righteous ruling. Do we not even see that in Countries today, including our own. Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. And then we also saw that when Haman was demanding Mordecai to bow to him, and he would not, many of the people told, were telling Mordecai, just go along to get along. Remember that? Just bow down. It's no big deal. Why are you making such a big deal about this? Now, as God has elevated Mordecai to the king's trusted counselor, what kind of testimony do you think that is to the people who told him, just go along to get along? And to all those people that just went along to get along, where are they still at? Same place they were. Christian, you and I need to learn to stand against the current of the age. You and I need to learn to stand up for what is right and do right. It doesn't matter who's telling you, oh, it's not a big deal. I am so tired of people saying, just compromise your standards a little bit because it's not that big a deal. And then you compromise a little bit, and then you compromise a little bit more, and you give a little more away until there's nothing left to give. And we looked at the example of Lot who made choices based on the convenience of today, how he lost his credibility with the inhabitants of Sodom, including his own sons-in-law. And if it weren't for 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7, it's saying about just Lot, I don't think anybody in this room would assume that he was a just man by the account we have given to us in Genesis. 
So those are the truths we learn from the promotion of Mordecai. Now let's move on to the plea of Esther in verses 3 through 6. Now, Esther had just exposed a great problem in the kingdom and saved the king a lot of heartache and a lot of embarrassment that would have been continuing if Haman were still there. And so, but yet when she approaches the king again, because remember, the decree is still there. It's still going to go into effect on the 13th day of the 12th month. The decree did not disappear when Haman was hung. That would be nice, right? If all bad legislation that any legislator had passed when they're out of office all of a sudden disappeared, that'd be nice. But it doesn't work that way. It stays. So as she goes to the king, she remains respectful to him. She remained humble before the king, and she remained respectful to those in authority. We need to teach young people respect. You know, this week, anyhow, we somehow get this idea of, well, they did it first, so it's okay for us to do it. And we, have, we are losing generations because we're not teaching them respect. Listen. Do I agree with a man who sits in the office of the president? No, I do not. Do I agree with his policies? No, I do not. Is it right to speak out against his policies? Yes, it is. But should I sit there and criticize or use vulgarity against a man who's sitting in the highest office of the land? The answer is no, I should not, because there should be a respect for the office despite who's sitting in the chair. And we are teaching young people that it's okay to disrespect the office. I hear parents that will show disrespect to police officers and wonder why their children have no, no respect for the position of a police officer. Parents that will talk bad about the preacher and wonder why the kids have no respect for the preacher. Parents who talk bad about their, their boss and wonder why their kids, when they get a job, have no respect for their boss. Well, what have we taught them? There needs to be respect. And Esther showed utmost respect for the king and his position, even though it was her husband, even though she had just proven to him, hey, I just saved you a great embarrassment, she still showed respect for the office he held. She shows deference to the king and his wisdom and his will. Look at verses 3 and 5. And Esther spake yet again before the king and fell down at his feet and besought him with tears to put away the mischief of Haman the Agagite and his device that he had devised against the Jews. Skip down to verse 5 and said, If it pleased the king, and I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seemed right before the king, and if it pleasant in his eyes, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman. Now, there's a problem. The law of the Medes and Persians cannot be reversed. And she says, if possible... Let this be reversed. Okay, but she's given deference to him. She goes, this is my desire. I would love for it to be done away with. I think she even realizes it can't be, but what she's trying to get the king to think is, then how do I accomplish this goal? Do you follow what I'm saying? He can't say, hey, you know what? That last letter that came out, that's negated now. Their law wouldn't allow that. Now, we do that in our land, right? We make a law, and then we make another law that does away with the first law, and then we do another law that puts it back, and then we take it away, and then we put it back, and that's why our law books are this thick. And you just got to keep up with where it is. Matter of fact, we've even done that with an amendment. We did away, we, we put prohibition in place, and then we did away with it, right? But it was by another amendment that had to take away what was already done. Okay, they couldn't do that. 
Once it was written, that's it. But she's trying to give the king opportunity to figure out how am I going to take care of this situation? Because, okay, think of what the king has been told. Remember, Esther told him, not only is this going to affect me, her personally, because she would end up being, as a Jew, part of this slaughter, and all her kindred. But, you know, remember, she has shown him that the, the economic loss. Now, I don't believe just the tax base, but... I believe the Jews were very productive citizens in the kingdom, probably some of the greatest business owners in the kingdom. And so, you know, let's face it, it wouldn't just be the personal tax, but it'd be all the business tax on top of it. You say, well, they didn't do it the same way we do. Look, taxes are nothing new, okay? Every government has always taxed and overtaxed. So she humbled herself. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and clothed with humility, for God resisteth, resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So she humbled herself before the king. But I want you to notice in verse 3, it says that she fell down at his feet and besought him with tears to put away the mischief of Haman. Sin should break our hearts. As I said, although Haman was gone, the wickedness he started was not. And the consequences of a sin can outlive the individual. She, so she's weeping before the king. Now, many times, most times, women are more emotional than men. And ladies, be careful putting on the tears as a method of trying to get your way. But I believe when Esther came to him and she started weeping, it wasn't just trying to get her own way, but her heart was truly broken by the fact of what Haman had done and written. And you know, men, I know, we think emotions didn't come with the package, right? I feel nothing because I'm a man. <sighs> Sometimes... Men, we need to understand that God did create us emotional beings too. You understand as Jesus Christ was standing at the grave of his friend Lazarus, knowing that he's about to raise him from the dead, but he sees the results of sin. He sees the brokenheartedness of his friends, Mary, Martha, and all these others there. What is the, what is the verse that every child loves to learn? John eleven thirty five. Say it with me. Jesus wept. Now, it wasn't because he didn't know that Lazarus was going to rise because he knew what he was going to do. It's because he saw the results of sin. When's the last time that the results of sin have broken your heart to the point you cry about it? So as I said, she asked for a reversal of the previous proclamation, but that couldn't be. But just because it may seem impossible doesn't mean we shouldn't try if it's the right thing to do. Because remember, God says... In Luke 1, 37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. There was a solution, which brings us to the last point, the proclamation of the king. Verse 7, then the king, then the king Ahasuerus said unto Esther, queen, of Mor uh, queen and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and to him I have hanged upon the gallows, because he laid his hand upon the Jews. So he follows his logic to its conclusion. I hanged Haman and gave him the estate because the decree destroyed the Jews, so I'm going to follow through and figure out a way to take care of this and take care of the Jews. 
Now that's pretty logical, right? Because, okay, well, yeah, I did this part, but if I don't take care of the decree that he signed, it really did no good just killing him. Because you're all going to die anyhow. So, I love the way he handles it. So, uh, Mordecai, verse 8, Write ye also to the Jews, is it like if you in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring, for the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed in the king's ring may, not, may no man reverse. So he goes, okay, we can't reverse this. So, Mordecai, congratulations on your promotion. Now figure out a solution and write it down. Good king, delegating. <laughs> but he delegates to the right guy, doesn't he? Because who, who has a vested interest in figuring this out? Uh, I think that'd be Mordecai. Mordecai is going to figure this thing out for him. So remember, it can't be reversed. So Mordecai comes up with a plan. Okay, let's write a letter and tell all the Jews on the very same day in which you're supposed to be killed, you can gather together weapons and people and whatnot and offer protection. You can fight back. That's a pretty good solution. So instead of just being slaughtered and having no, no, no defense whatsoever, you're allowed to defend yourselves. Now, I have tried to study this, and many of the commentators skip over this fact. So <clears throat> I, I tried looking a little bit of history and whatnot and really couldn't find all the facts that I was looking for. But before I get to that, let me just say, Mordecai, now being a leader, righteous leaders pass good legislation. The king authorized Mordecai to write the decree to protect the Jews, and Mordecai asked for assistance from the professionals. Now, he goes, look at this in verse 9. Then were the king's scribes called in at the time, the third month, that is the month of Savannah, on the three and twentieth day, and it was written according to all the Mordecai commanded all the Jews. Now, he says, okay, give me all the scribes. I need them to write. But I believe he called in some other professionals, said, okay, because do you think Mordecai understood every nuance of Persian law? And he would have called in the professionals to help him guide through this to make sure he writes this thing legally, properly, so that it couldn't be, you know, challenged in the courts. Okay, and yes, I refer a lot of this to the way our system works, but again, many systems work very similarly, okay? But trying to help you think of it in our terms today and how it would apply in our terms today. It was William Carey who said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And I believe that was the attitude of Mordecai. He's expecting God to give them deliverance. And he's attempting to come up with a plan that's going to offer that deliverance. But again, he did not assume that he could do it alone. He asked for help. Now, these were pagan men that he's asking for help. But they knew Persian law. They were also scribes and could write all this down because... Remember, it wasn't write it down once and throw it on the copy or make 127 copies and send it out. They had to get 127 plus copies, actually more than that, because each province was going to the lieutenants and governors and everybody else, all these people within that province, and they had to get these written and they had to get them written now. So you need everybody who can use a pen writing this out for you. Okay, so that's why he needed all this help. He couldn't do it alone. But there are professional writers. The decisions of that day were made very quickly. Verse 1, the king gave the estate to Esther the same day Haman was hanged. Verse 14, the new decree was hastened by the king's command. 
And Christian, you and I should have an urgency in doing the work of the Lord. Now, we all know that our time here on earth is short. If you can't figure that out, well, you must not be paying attention to anything going on. And I don't know how long, okay? I'm not a date setter. I don't know when the rapture is going to happen. But I do know this. Our days are short. There should be an urgency about doing the work of the Lord. Let's go back to what I was trying to say earlier. Look here in verse 9. Let's go back to, yeah, let's go to chapter 8, verse 9. Then were the king's scribes called at that time in the third month, as the months of Anne, and the three and twentieth day thereof. And it was written according to Mordecai, commanding the Jews, and to the lieutenants, and to the deputies, and to the rulers of the provinces, which are, in the hand, uh, which are from India to Ethiopia, and 120 and seven provinces. Okay, now let's go back to chapter 3 and verse 12. And when Haman wrote his letter, it says in chapter 3, verse 12, then were the king's scribes called in the 13th day of the first month that it was written according to all the Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors who were over every province and the rulers of every people of the province according to the writing thereof and to every people after their language in the name of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. Okay, so the first letter written to all these people, and you see it's the same people, the lieutenants, the governors, the rulers, and whatnot, right? And then in chapter 8, the letter's written to the same people. The first letter says, destroy all the Jews. The second letter says, the Jews are authorized to defend themselves. Now, if I'm in one of these provinces and I get the first letter and I'm like, that's the king's command, okay, so that's what we have to do. But, you know, I really like these Jews. Because remember, they weren't hated by everybody. And then I get the second letter, they can defend themselves. And even if I did hate them, when I get the second letter, it says they can defend themselves. Okay, remember, it couldn't be reversed, but apparently they could be contradicted. And so, okay, John, you got these contradictory letters. What are you going to do with them? He doesn't know. So anybody want to take a guess at it? What would you do with them? What, if you got the letter said, the first letter said, kill the Jews, and then the second letter says, by the way, they're going to be able to set up their little armies and defend themselves. What would you do with that? I think this shows the ingenious of the plan. Think this through with me for a moment. So a couple of thoughts crossed my mind, and this is why I tried studying the history of this, to find out how they would have interpreted this. But, but the first thought that came to my mind is in the military, you're always taught, follow the last order given, right? And you cannot go wrong if you can say, that was the last order I was given, I was just following orders. But if you were following an order given previous to that, then you could be reprimanded for having, not following the last order given, right? So that thought crossed my mind. And I don't know if that was their custom or not, but it would make sense for the military part of it, because it does say lieutenants. So the military side of it, it makes sense, this is the last order given, let's follow the last order given. Now, for the governors and whatnot who don't care about military protocol, it kind of goes along with what Stephanie's saying. Hmm. I'm supposed to kill these folks, but now I just got this letter saying they're going to defend themselves. So that means one of two things. If I really hate them, that means I better beef up my army to go against them. Or if I really don't hate them that bad, maybe I could say, well, if they're going to defend themselves, maybe it's not worth the attack. Again, this is why I was trying to study the culture of the Medes and Persians to understand this more in depth. Because obviously this has significance to, these to this letter being written 
by Mordecai. Because, okay, you can defend yourself. Well, great. If I can defend myself, but I can't get anybody on my side, I'm kind of still going to die. So there has to be a way in which then this really offered those people a choice. Are you going to stand with the Jews? Or are you going to stand against the Jews? Somehow, some way, I believe it, it offered that. The best way to try to reverse something was to contradict it, it appears, in their, their system of government. Does that make sense? Again, I don't say that dogmatically because I could not find anywhere in my study. So if you want to help me out and you want to go try to study the, the culture of the Medes and Persians and find out if that is true, but it would make sense to me that that was somehow the way in which this was playing out. Now, neither here nor there, the point being is now the Jews come December in our calendar, okay, would be fortified and they wouldn't just be lame ducks sitting there ready to be slaughtered, but they would be, have a defense against those coming against them. And so if you are going to attack the Jews, you better be well prepared because they're going to be standing and saving, to save their lives. By order of the king. Follow? Now, one more point I want to bring out, and I think this is important. Let's go back to verse 9. Then were the king's scribes called at that time in the third month, as the month of Savannah, on the three and twentieth day thereof. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews, and to the lieutenants, and to the deputies, and the rulers of the provinces which are from India to Ethiopia, and 127 provinces, unto every province according to the writing thereof, and unto every people after their language, and to the Jews according to their writing, and according to their language. Can I liken this to Bible publishing. The Bible, you realize, is still not published in every language in the world, and for years was not available in the common language. But the Word of God tells us in Romans 10, 14 through 17, how, can they, how then shall they call on him who they have not believed, and how shall they believe on him and who they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher, and how shall they preach except they be sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them to preach the gospel of peace, peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith the Lord, for Isaiah saith, the Lord who hath believed our report, so then faith cometh by hearing, in hearing by the word of God, but how can they hear if it's not in their language? You know, these letters would have done no good because remember, this is a vast kingdom, and so you have several different countries, different languages, and so if everybody would have gotten the language or gotten the letter in, what was the language of the Medes and Persians? Aramaic, wasn't it? If it was Aramaic, if everybody got in Aramaic, but I'm down in Ethiopia and I speak a different language, or if I'm a Jew and I speak Hebrew, what good would that letter do to me, do for me? It would do nothing. So the letter had to be not only written, but I need these scribes to translate it into all these languages and make sure it's an accurate translation so that when the Jews read it in Hebrew or the Ethiopians read it in What's the language of Ethiopia? I can't remember. But I know it's not Aramaic. And you get the point. When these people are reading it in their language, they can understand it. And so they wrote this in each of these languages in order for the people to be able to understand what was being written. Now, Christian, it's important 
that we have people, such as the Youngs, translating Scripture into languages that don't yet still have the Word of God in their language. And this is also important why we use the King James Version of the Bible, because... It is the very words that matter. Now, would not every word of this proclamation matter to who was reading it? Yes, it would. Should not every word of God matter to us? Yes, it should. Therefore, we must have an accurate translation. And that's why, again, we use the King James Version without getting too deep into it. Now, folks, let me tell you something. If Mordecai were standing here today, he would say, look, that wasn't my wisdom. I didn't come up with that. You know, as I was praying, God gave me the plan to put together for this. He would give God the glory, I believe, if he were standing here before us. My point being, folks, is think of how close Mordecai kept, kept following God, obeying God, being humble before God, praying and fasting and asking God for deliverance. And God said, you know what? I'm going to take this choice servant right here and I'm going to put him in the position where he writes the very letter to save the people. We don't know what God's plan is for tomorrow. But be faithful today so he can use you tomorrow. It was a very brilliant strategy. So the, pro uh, the promotion of Mordecai the plea of Esther and the proclamation of the king on this day changed everything, did it not? Now, going from the third month to the twelfth month, now with this new proclamation from the king, what do you think the Jews' attitude is? Remember I said for that first two months, they probably were getting very discouraged after a while, thinking, well, God doesn't really care, nothing's going to happen, this isn't, you know. Now from the third month to the twelfth month, having this proclamation that you have the power and authority of the king to defend yourself, how do you think that changed their attitude? I'm sure they are. And they're getting armies set up, and they're getting ready for this day because they know it's a coming. And they have the authority to take care of it. Now God provided that for them. But let's remember the whole time God was naked. Not, God was not taken by surprise. He had it all under control, and his plan was accomplished. God's timing is perfect. His way is perfect. His will is perfect. Now let me ask this question. And again, this is not anything we can truthfully answer, but it just as, as food for thought, when everybody's saying, Mordecai, it's no big deal. Just bow before him. Just go along to get along. If Mordecai that day had a moment of weakness and said, you're right, do you think we'd be reading this account today? I would like to say, I don't believe we would be. You see, Christian, why our testimony is important every single moment of every single day. Let's live faithful for him. Because in that day, it appeared God changed everything. But the truth is, God had been working through his servants that were faithful to him. So let's remain faithful so that God can work through us. Let's bow for a word of prayer.